welcome to your favorite Thursday podcast. I'm Nick Mitchell. And I'm Scott Tedford Barnes. And you are listening to Legends of Sportsball, an educational celebration of useless jock knowledge. Thank you for joining us. We have a very special episode for you today, don't we, Scotty? Wintery special. Today is Random Act of Kindness Day. Yeah, shovel a driveway, driveway, you know, just for fun. Or your neighbors. Yeah, your neighbors. Not yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll do the scoreboard stumper. We'll get into chirping booty, our tweet of the week. Uh, we've got a couple of notable jabronis. Our Hall of Fame inductee this week is Wilma Rudolph. We'll get the stumper answer. We'll play sloppy top. We'll go to church and we'll send you on your merry little way. So without further ado, Scotty, hit me with that scoreboard stumper. And my further ado is here. Um, we're going to be talking about. Wilma Rudolph today. She was a famous black sprinter from the 60s. Uh, they gave out they give out now the Wilma Rudolph Courage Award. It started in 1996, and I want to know, they give it out to sprinters. I want to know who first received it. Was it Flo Jo? Was it Jackie Joyner Kersey? Was it Marion Jones? Or was it Gail Devers? I'm going to go Jackie Joyner Kersey. We'll get back into that later. Indeed we shall. I am one and one this season, so this either puts me over or under 500. Yeah. Okay, so Chirpin' Booty, our tweet of the week, uh, is from a uh, former phoner and guest and part of our uh, the Turkey Bowl special. Turkey Bowl special at Andrew Rudick. He said, I can't decide if I should buy another video game and continue to spiral or try to get my life together. <laughs> and that hits close to home for everybody, I think. Yeah, that <clears throat> kicks me. Everyone's been spending a lot of time at home for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just deep diving video games that I haven't even finished half of them, and I'm just still like, well, whatever. I'm playing Octopath Traveler on Nintendo Switch, and Scotty is playing... Horizon Zero Dawn. Horizon yeah. Zero Dawn, which is just wild. Yeah, literally wild. Just but, uh, wild and crazy. It's, it's quite <laughs> awesome. All right, yeah, we'll have to induct a video game player at some point. Absolutely. All right, now we will get into Notable Jabroni. Notable Jabroners! Let's start with Urban Meyer. <laughs> um, Urban Meyer hired former Iowa strength and conditioning coach and famous racist Chris Doyle. <laughs> so, I mean, regardless of how you feel about consequence culture, mm -hmm. as a head coach... It just seems like no matter how you feel about that, it's probably a bad idea to bring in somebody that was resigned in shame. Like they they literally gave him millions of dollars to leave. Yeah, and and you want to bring him in? I, I don't, all right, so yeah, yeah, he <laughs> he left in shame, um, but but he was vetted. Oh yeah, Urban Meyer talks a lot about his vetting process. <laughs> so we've got a clip here for you. Of racist <laughs> remarks and, and bullying and, and belittling some black players there. Yeah, I've known Chris for uh, close to 20 years. Our relationship goes back to when I was at Utah, and he was the number one strength coach. And really, he, he was doing sports performance before sports performance became uh, 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 a high priority in, in college sports. And so I've known him. I've studied him. Uh, we've had a relationship. Uh, I vetted him thoroughly along with our general manager and owner. feel great about the hire, about his expertise at that 
uh, at that position. So we vetted them thoroughly, and and uh, sports performance is going to be a high, high priority as it as it really in the last probably. I don't know, 10 years, really, certainly at Ohio State, that became, if not the most important, you guys know my relationship with Coach Marotti at, uh, at Ohio State, but uh, this, this, this whole from strength, training, ta- uh, training room, physical therapy, sports psychology, nutrition, that all fun- falls under the sports performance uh, team umbrella. And I wanted to get the best of the best. So you had no reservations hiring him based on the allegations and, and what happened at Iowa, and, and why hire him instead of going in a different direction? Oh, sure. I, 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 I bet everyone on our staff, and like I said, the relationship goes back close to 20 years, and a lot of hard questions asked, a lot of betting involved and uh, with, the, with all our staff. But uh, uh, we, we, we did a very good job betting that one. So you're confident there's not going to be any issues? Yeah, there won't be. They're very confident. They're very confident. They're very confident. All right, Urban Meyer, we're officially done with you. Uh, Scotty has someone to jabbernize. Scotty, yeah. hit us with the next notable jabron. It's kind of a, it's kind of a jabbernization of Dan Gilbert from the the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Plus, maybe like the whole NBA culture of owners towards players. This is like the Thanos. Jabronization. Yeah. Like pretty much <laughs> pretty much Scotty and Draymond Green come after everyone. Yeah, I mean with uh with how owners treat players as if, you know, they're they're commodities, as if, you know, players don't go out there and bust their butt every night and they, they entertain the fans. Um they there's no modicum of respect uh that's equal or seeing eye to eye. And a lot of that's unfortunate. And really Draymond Green hits it on the it's the nail right on the head here. It's like the idea that you know, uh, the players are always expected to have a certain level of professionalism that their bosses and their, you know, the people above them aren't required to have the same. Yeah. Like they, they don't the adhere to the same principles. Professional standard. Right. Okay. So here's to watch clip. Andre Drummond before the game uh, sit on the sideline, then go to the back and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him is bullshit. Because when James Harden asked for a trade and essentially dogged it, I don't think there was no surprise or no, you know, there's no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for one to go to a different team and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, oh, we want to trade a guy. And then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer and he's not good in someone's locker room and he's the issue. And we've seen situations of Harrison Barnes getting pulled off the bench. You know, DeMarcus Cousins finding out that he's traded in an interview after the All-Star game. And we continue to let this happen. But I got fined for stating my opinion of what I thought should happen with another player. But teams can come out and continue to say, oh, we're trading guys, we're not playing you. And yet we're to stay professional. At some point, as players, we need to be treated with the same respect and have the same rights that the team can have. Because as a player, you're the worst person in the world when you want a different situation. But a, but a team can say they're trading you, and that man is to stay in shape. He is to stay professional. And if not, 
his career is on the line. At some point, this league has to protect the players from embarrassment like that. You know, we talk all of this stuff about you can't do this. You can't say that publicly. If you say that publicly, you're fine. Anthony Davis got fined, I think, $100,000 or something like that for demanding a trade publicly. But you can say Andre Drummond is getting traded publicly and we're looking to trade him publicly and he's to stay professional and just deal with it. But then when Kyrie Irving say, oh, my mental health is off, everybody go crazy about that too. Do you not think that affects someone mentally? All right, Dan Gilbert and front offices across the NBA, we are done with you. Yeah. All right, without further ado, we'll get into our Legends of Sports Ball Season 2, Episode 3, Hall of Fame inductee, Wilma Rudolph. Wilma Wilma Glodine Rudolph was born June 23, 1940, in St. Bethlehem, Tennessee, to Blanche Rudolph. Wilma was born prematurely at four and a half pounds and was the 20th of 22 children from her father Ed's two marriages. Wilma would grow up in Clarksville, Tennessee, but would suffer from several early childhood illnesses, including pneumonia, scarlet fever, and infantile paralysis caused by polio. Because there was limited medical care available to African Americans in the 1940s, the Rudolph family sought treatment for Wilma 50 miles away in Nashville, with Blanche and Wilma making weekly bus trips to seek treatment for her weakened left leg. I mean, you know, it's it's one thing to have two marriages, but I'm kind of relieved to the to the idea that one woman didn't give birth to 22 children. I want to know the, the ratio. Was it like 12 to 20, 12 to 10, or like was it 8 to 14? Well, was it at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> Just got two families going. <laughs> Is this guy Wilt Chamberlain? <laughs> Wilma would wear a leg brace until she was 12 years old and wore an orthopedic shoe on her left foot for another two years for support. With the help of massage therapy from specialists and even family members, Wilma was finally brace-free and ready to run. Rudolph would attend the all-black Burt High School, where she excelled in basketball and track. Ed Temple, Tennessee State University's track coach, took notice of her natural athleticism and invited the sophomore to join his summer training program. At age 16, Wilma would compete at amateur track events with TSU's women's team, the Tiger Bells. Yeah. And in 1956, she would travel to Seattle, where she'd qualify to compete in the 200-meter individual event for the U.S. Olympic team at the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne, Australia. Rudolph, the youngest member of the U.S. Olympic team, was one of five TSU Tiger Bells to qualify for the Olympic Games. (laughs) It's like a lady tiger, I guess, a Tiger Bell, like a, I don't know. (laughs) I love it. Wilma was defeated in the preliminary heat of the 200-meter race in Melbourne, but would run the third leg of the 4x100-meter relay that would win bronze, a team that was made up of entirely Tiger Bells. After returning home and showing her classmates her bronze medal, Wilma became determined to bring gold home from the 1960 Olympics. In her senior year of high school, Wilma would become pregnant with her first daughter, Yolanda, who was born in 1958, just weeks before her enrollment at Tennessee State University in Nashville. Ed Temple would continue as Wilma's track coach and would help guide her to a silver medal in the 100-meter race and gold in the 4x100-meter relay at the Pan Am Games in 1959. Wilma would win the AAU 200-meter title and proceed to defend that title for four consecutive years. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Jeez. 
While she was still a sophomore in college, Wilma attended the Olympic trials in Abilene, Texas, where she set the world record for the 200-meter dash that would stand atop the record books for eight years. The 1960 Olympic Games in Rome, Italy, were to be the hottest games on record and were the first games to be televised worldwide. Team USA had big names like Cassius Clay, Oscar Robertson, and Rafer Johnson. But the name of Wilma Rudolph was about to steal the show. Wilma became the first American to win gold in the 100-meter dash since Helen Stevens in the 1936 Olympiad. Rudolph won another gold in the 200-meter dash with a time of 24 seconds after she had posted a new Olympic record of 23.2 seconds in her opening heat. Throughout the world, she was hailed as, quote, the fastest woman in history, unquote. And that was before the final race of the Games. Yeah. On September 7th, 1960, the temperature had reached 110 degrees as throngs of spectators crammed into the Olympic Stadium. The track, which was made of cinder, blistered as Wilma prepared to be the anchor leg of Team USA's 4x100-meter relay, a team that, once again, was all Tiger Bells. (laughs) Wilma nearly dropped the baton on the final handoff, but was able to recover and pass the anchor from Germany for a close win and another gold medal. The win was special for Rudolph as she had come there to win and pay tribute to Jesse Owens. Wilma would be graced with many nicknames after the Olympics, including the Tornado. The Italians had named her the Black Gazelle, and the French named her the Black Pearl. But she was officially the fastest woman on the planet. Wilma's return to Clarksville was dubbed Welcome Wilma Day. And at her direct insistence, the parade and banquet became the first fully integrated municipal event in the city's history. Yeah. An estimated 1,100 people attended the banquet and thousands lined the streets for the parade. Wilma's Olympic success had propelled her to become one of the most highly visible black women in the United States and around the world. Rudolph would travel the globe competing in invitational sprinting competitions, appearing on Ed Sullivan and To Tell the Truth, and even becoming the first woman to ever be invited to the, until then, all-male Milrose Games, a renowned indoor track competition at Madison Square Garden. At 22 years old and the peak of her performance, Wilma retired from racing in 1962 and would not compete in the Olympics in 1964, stating, quote, If I won two gold medals, there would be something lacking. I'll stick with the glory I've already won, like Jesse Owens did in 1936. Bam. Mic drop. (laughs) After retirement, the Tornado continued her education at TSU and would receive a bachelor's degree in education. That same month, she'd also take a trip to West Africa as a goodwill ambassador for the U.S. State Department. Upon her return to Clarksville, Rudolph would take part in a rally to desegregate a local restaurant. Within a short time, the mayor announced that all of Clarksville's public facilities and restaurants would be fully integrated. Over the following years, Wilma's life shifted to teaching and coaching. In addition, she worked with nonprofits that supported athletic development in American children. In 1981, the Wilma Rudolph Foundation was established, a nonprofit-based organization out of Indianapolis that trains youth athletes. Wilma was refused. Wilma was featured as a commentator for the 1980 and 84 Olympics, and in 1987, she lit the cauldron for the Pan Am Games at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That same year, she became the director of the DePaul University Women's Track Program and served as a consultant of minority affairs to the university's president. In July of 1994, 
Shortly after her mother's death, Wilma was diagnosed with brain cancer and throat cancer. Her wellness deteriorated rapidly, and on November 12, 1994, at 54 years of age, she passed away. She was survived by four children, eight grandchildren, and siblings. <laughs> Thousands came to her memorial service as all flags in Tennessee hung at half mast. Rudolph was inducted into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame in 1983, the Black Sports Hall of Fame in 1973, the National Track and Field Hall of Fame in 1974, and the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1994. Wilma Rudolph's legacy lies in the ability to overcome obstacles that included childhood illnesses and physical disabilities to become the fastest woman in the world. Wow. Legend. Yeah, um... Supposedly, also, Wilma dated Muhammad Ali in the early 60s, like, from 60 to 61, like, before the games and stuff like That's that. That's just Wilma Muhammad. Yeah. Is that their... <laughs> Br- Brangelina? <That's> the, yeah. <laughs> Alidolf? Wilma Wil- Lee? <laughs> Alima? <laughs> Will Ali? <laughs> okay. Um, Isn't there another Legends of Sports Ball field trip marker? Yes. Um, so in, 2000 and, in 2012, Clarksville built the Wilma Rudolph Event Center. Um, it's with, It has a statue of her out front. Oh, um, dude, we got to pose that statue. Exactly. So <laughs> a new marker has been added to the Legends of Sports Ball field guide. Mm. Um, and uh, Sports Illustrated did a list of the top 50 athletes from tw- from Tennessee in the 20th century and Wilma, Wilma, Wilma Rudolph was number one. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, move, move over Peyton Manning. Yeah, for real. Get out of here, man. Uh, I also, like, I think the Tiger Bells thing is awesome because, you know, it's kind of like how, like, um, Syracuse has like had like the orange men and then it was like the orange women or like the lady orange and now they're just called the orange. Well, I'm assuming like, yeah, like that was kind of like the Tiger Bells thing. Right, but, I get that. It's just, it's just insane that all they were all from the same amateur track team, right? Yeah, and they were featured as the four by one hundred team. Like almost every time you had to go out there and win. I mean, yeah, they <laughs> anchored <laughs> by Wilma Rudolph, <laughs> the fastest woman in the world, the fastest of the Tiger Bells. Um, yeah, I mean, I want some Tiger Bells gear. Like Let's for some real. Tiger Bells gear. Like hopefully they. I mean, maybe they have some. I wonder if Texas State University is in the SWAC conference since we've already done two SWAC things this month. Yeah. <laughs> so that Black Sports Hall of Fame is that the, the one? That's the one in Atlanta that's like curated by Doug Williams and stuff. That's wild. So this is all connected. So yeah, this we go to Tennessee and then we got to go to Eddie Robinson. Uh, so lots of Louisiana and Grambling. Yeah, we're going down south. Going south. <laughs> all right. Well. Wilma Rudolph, you are truly a legend. Yeah. Sorely missed. All right, Scotty. Without further ado, hit me with that scoreboard stump. All right. Answer. So we have the Wilma Rudolph Courage Award was first uh, created in 1996. Uh, I wanted to know who was the first recipient of the award. Was it Flojo? Florence Johnson. Um, Jackie Joyner Kersey? Gail Devers or Marion Jones? And you said? I said Jackie Joyner Kersey. And you were right. Dang. When yeah. you said Marion Jones, it like all came floating back to my head how fast she was, how great she was. Yeah. <laughs> she was a little bit later, wasn't she? She got yeah, I just she was kind of okay. a throwaway, but she she got busted with PEDs. I, get, I remember Gail Devers from the ninety six Olympics because she had like those massive long nails. <laughs> and she also did hurdles too, because you didn't see a lot of spr- sprinters also be able to take it to hurdles, like win gold in both sprinting and hurdles. So, 
So I have a winning record this season. So far, yeah. My first winning record I've ever had. And, um, <laughs> Maybe I'm going easy on you. Tumper. <laughs> you. Multiple choice makes it a little more realistic. Instead of it being like, name the 14 players that... <laughs> All right, so <laughs> without further ado, we'll get into Sloppy Top, our wordplay segment. <laughs> Today we are going to name the new Seattle The Krakens. Krakens hockey team mascot. Yeah. So they have they have um they have a logo and they have like artwork and stuff, but they don't have like an actual guy in a in a suit yet. Maybe they'll just do away with ma- like mascots after the COVID's over. Who knows? This is just a whole other conversation. But let's just say But they're wearing masks, they're protected. They don't need to get rid of the mascots. Right. So we don't know. I haven't seen any pictures of what the Kraken's mascot is, and we think we should name it. It's like Cracky. Well, it isn't. It isn't uh, Oregon, and they did. No, Seattle, Washington. No, yeah, it's Washington. Did they do away with all punishments for for drugs? You could could call it Cracky. (laughs) Cracky the (laughs) Kraken. He's your best friend. Hey guys, you want to get high and watch some hockey? <laughs> he's like, he's voiced like Tally. <laughs> Hold on, let me get a little high first. <laughs> Not enough shots on goal. How the fuck are we going to win this game? <laughs> so, yeah, the Cracky's a no. <laughs> Cracky's too far. Go home, Cracky. So, yeah, I think. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Street rat. So, okay, so krakens have tentacles. They're mythical. Um, you could make it something like Davy Jones Locker. Would you just name it like Davy Jones and have it like walk around with like a kraken on its face, like the guy from um, the guy from <laughs> the mascot Pir- isn't even the kraken or kraken. It's 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 a guy with a kraken over his head. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like make it like one of the guys from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> Yar, I hate this job. <laughs> yeah. Yar, I don't even make fifteen dollars an hour. I can't breathe in this thing. <laughs> Karen the Kraken. Karen. Karen the Kraken. Excuse me, referee. <laughs> he was high sticking me. <laughs> Karen, I mean. Karen is a Kraken. If you've ever worked service industry before. Yeah, I mean, when she asks to see her manager, you know, you just you're in for it. Fear Karen. Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's our winner. Okay. Screw going with like her traditional like it's gonna look like the artwork kind of you know mascot. Tenty, the tentacle. Yeah. Kraken. Like meh, meh. <laughs> like I mean the Reds freaked freaked the shit out of me when you create Gapper and you put that out and like kids are supposed to like want to like play with Gapper and I'm like that thing is terrifying. So I mean if you if you put a scary mascot out there, then go just go full bore, go Karen, the Kraken, put the black spice rum down, yeah, Karen, <laughs> and leave leave the team alone. Yeah, I can't wait till they design Karen the Kraken. Karen the Kraken. Excuse me. <laughs> All right.
right, next we will go to church. Um, I'll start with a confessional. Last week I got too excited during Sloppy Top about putting the the eagle sound drops in. <laughs> but I forgot to finish producing the episode. I forgot to edit the last part where we announce who our next week deep dive is. To make up for it, I will make sure that we do announce who it is. Okay. So you have something to look forward to at the end of the episode. We are going to announce next week's inductee. Yes. We'll both hold it. Or, yeah. That's a that's a two man job. We got our thoughts and prayers at T's and P's. Yeah, T's and P's. Um, we lost Vincent Jackson, former NFL wide receiver. Like Vincent he's Jackson, thirty eight years old. He played seven years for the Chargers. Uh, he played five years for the Bucks. Great wide receiver. Um, yeah, absolutely. He always was one of my high priorities when I played fantasy football. No, we were just talking about how we both had him in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, at some point for sure. He Big was always a commodity. Mm-hmm. He he was really. That's just incredible. I mean. 38 years old, and there's and they don't have any idea what the cause of death was. So, I mean, T's and P's towards, right. hopefully we can find out what what went, what went down there. And T's and P's to your family, Vincent Jackson. T's and P's to your families. All right, don't forget to subscribe to our weekly podcast and check out our other episodes available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Legends of Sportsball. You can find us on Twitter at L Sportsball. That's at the letter L Sportsball. Tune in next week as we deep dive Ken Griffey Senior. Yeah, Senior. 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 Not talking about the kid. Yeah, we'll well, we might talk about Craig Griffey a little bit. We might talk about his kid. Yeah. Craig Craig was a great baseball player. Tickle me, Craig Griffey. <laughs> Thank you once again for listening to Legends of Sports Ball. May the sports be with you. Always. <laughs> <laughs>